for another exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Well, we're back again with another episode of No Driving Gloves, as the intro kind of told you, but it lied to you this week. You have me, you have Derek, and Will's out in Vegas playing and enjoying SEMA and from what my Facebook feed's telling me, and if you watch uh, Big Oak Garages or follow Scotty D, it seems Will is the photographer for Scotty D most of this week, and he's taken some pretty radical pictures or some crazy stuff this weekend, or week. So while we're recording here, Will's out in, at SEMA, so you've got Derek and me, and as kind of a surprise thing, and we can call it a unannounced reward maybe for the Patreon and that, our first patron, Anthony Layton, is going to join us this evening. Derek or Anthony, do you want to fill in just a little bit of background and automotive knowledge and maybe, Anthony, who are you? Sure, I can start. Um, my name is Anthony Layton, and I, uh, I'm a friend of Derek's. Yeah, I heard about the podcast through Derek's Facebook page, and I got really excited because I'm really into listening to podcasts, and I jumped all over it, um, got on Patreon, and supported you guys right away to keep the show going. I'm originally from the Jackson, Michigan area. Know Derek through a museum in that area, or excuse me, in Detroit. And I've been involved with, I don't want to say cars, but I want to say mechanical things from childhood. Uh, I actually went the motorcycle, ATV, RC car route, and went through college um, for technology and kind of combined the two. And Derek can uh, speak a little more on that. So I met Anthony, as he said, working at, and it's okay if we say the names of museums, Anthony, uh, at Henry Ford Museum. Uh, most of the listeners know I spent quite a bit t- bit of time there, and Anthony was one of our, uh, uh, well, an employee at the museum. I also knew Anthony somewhat through, he said he went to college for technology, got to know Anthony at the museum and then ran into him at college because we went to the same college and actually somewhat in the same program for technology studies. His uh, course of study was a little different than mine. I did the history of technology and Anthony did uh, a little different route, which uh, Anthony, you can maybe talk a little bit about what you did with technology and and what you do now with technology. Yeah, sure. So when we were at uh, Eastern, we were taking, it was graduate level classes, I believe, right, Derek? Yes. Yeah, we were in a graduate program. um, And we took the core classes and kind of knew we both worked at the Ford, but we weren't sure exactly what we were doing, or I wasn't sure what I was doing. Yeah, so Derek and I were in the core classes, um, and my route was a little bit different. I was focusing on computer forensics, and Derek was taking his path more towards the museum side. Just that's kind of how Anthony and I got to know each other, and uh, Anthony's always been intrigued, as he said, by mechanical things, and you know, once we kind of started getting to know each other and, and both got to know a good friend of ours, a uh, mutual friend now that, that worked in the, uh, works in the roundhouse and is a, a big early steam guy. Uh, we all started hanging out, playing with early machinery, goofing off with stuff, just, you know, just kind of got to know each other and 
Anthony uh, has become really a, a good friend and and obviously a, a good patron of our show and listener, and we appreciate that. So, yeah, that's a, a little bit about Anthony and myself and kind of why we're having Anthony on the show tonight. So, John, if you're out there. Oh, I fell asleep. I'm sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> Now, as we always do, we have a little pre-show chat, and John got to know Anthony, and we we talked a lot about different things that uh, Anthony's doing right now with his you know technology, uh, you know, in the technology field, and I think one of the things we that came up early in our pre-show discussions was a, a little bit of this story coming out on uh, Tesla right now in production, and John, if you want to. Maybe chat a little bit about that. There's some some interesting things going on in the uh, the world of technology right now. Well, it's interesting, and it's one of those things where no driving gloves. And part of that is for us to have a voice to do a rebuttal on what's going on. And of course, we're we're, we're recording on November first, so the news I'm talking about is came out on November first. You'll be listening to this, you know, about a week later. But by then, everybody will have hashed, hashed it, forgot it. Tesla stock will be back up and a little recovered from the 5% hit that it took today because it was announced that the Model 3 is going to be delayed three more months. How many times do we see this with major manufacturers where a model gets pushed back and pushed back? Tesla is always under the microscope. And part of my, my you know, discussion or worry or concern with this is all of a sudden we get thinking and you get all the commenters on on these that don't have money behind Tesla. They're not investors. They're not Model 3 um, pre-orders. They're not Model S owners. You know, they, they don't watch Tesla. We have to remember that Tesla is not a car company. And that's one of my big, big things. Musk has created Tesla as a alternative energy company to explore all kinds of ways of utilizing or rethinking the power grid and the way we utilize electricity, gasoline, etc. Remember, Tesla has a roofing company now. They'll come and they'll do a roof for you. We have Tesla, you know, they here the news on the first is they're going to delay, they're not going to be able to deliver Model 3s in large scale until the beginning of 2018, end of first quarter 2018. When people started ordering Model 3s a year ago, I think I said, and unfortunately I didn't have a podcast, so we can't go back and listen and document it, I said, these cars aren't going to be out as quick as Musk said. Nobody can bring a car to production that fast, whether it's General Motors, whether it's Ford, whether it's Ferrari. No, nobody does that. So I think the delays are normal. They had a 600 and whatever, well, we'll call it $620 million loss reported today, impacted their value, but it was less than what Wall Street expected them to report. It was a a smaller loss than what they had. And this follows a profitable quarter where they made something like $22 million in third quarter this year. So Tesla just exists. They're creating this car. They're, They're doing this infrastructure. And like I said, they're not a car company. They're an alternative energy company that wants to sell you batteries. They get accused of taking $400 million from the government and investing it in working it to build these 
pipe dreams of cars and then taking, you know, whatever it is, 400,000 orders for the Model 3 at $1,000 a piece or uh, I think that was the deposit you had to put down. So they take $400,000 and they work this free interest loan. Remember, Tesla created these cars, created this technology and has opened every single one of their patents to the general public. If you want to go build a Tesla, you can go to the patent office and get all of their patents and find all of their research that Musk has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in designing and developing, and you can build a Tesla. There's nothing wrong with it. He says, please do it. Once he opened up these patents and open-sourced them out, much like Volvo did 50, 60 years ago with the seatbelt, Everybody jumped on and took the technology. And all of a sudden, we forget that Tesla did this two years ago. Now, all of a sudden, Europe is going to go all hybrid within the next three years. Porsche is developing a Tesla competitor that's an electric car. You have further developments in the Leaf. You have further developments in the Volt uh, and the General Motors products because they're all... You're you're lying to yourself if you didn't think you, these engineers went out and read Tesla's research. So I have no problem with it. If the Model Three never sees production, I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset if I lost my thousand dollars for a deposit. I don't have a thousand dollars deposited on a Model Three because I also realized it wasn't going to be a thirty five thousand dollar car. It's going to be a fifty thousand dollar car when it's all said and done and properly optioned. But I wouldn't have a problem because we're investing in this infrastructure. As I think I said in the pre-show, Tesla is a battery company. They want these manufacturers to take their ideas and basically buy batteries from Tesla and build cars around them. So I, that's my little high horse for the, this week. And this is I think becoming <laughs> a, a weekly thing. I think I went on a tirade last week. But... It's not why we invited. That's what you're here for, John. It's not why we invited Anthony on this week, but Anthony has this technology background and is familiar with some of this stuff. And I'm not saying he's a Tesla expert, but Tesla being some of of the most advanced computerized cars in the world. And I don't think we're looking at build quality issues. Tesla has build quality issues. Don't get me wrong. Panel gaps. We all know the Model X Falcon wing doors don't always open so correctly. I think a lot of it is software and trying to develop the software. But then again, they're constantly updatable, just like just like your phone software. I think you know since iOS eleven ISO eleven came out, now we're on version three of it, and it's a simple push of a button overnight. I wake up and I have a different phone that may or may not work better. <laughs> yeah, it's like a people say it's like a phone on wheels now, and it in one sense it absolutely is. You know, I I was harassing somebody earlier this week on Facebook. There was a comment about champagne-colored Camrys, and well, that's about the most boring car in the world. And people were coming back, how great Camrys are! Mine lasted this long. Nobody said they weren't they were horrible cars. They just said they were boring cars. And I've always said Camrys and Accords should only be available in white because they are basic appliances. And really, Teslas probably could fall into that other than the fact that they've got cool video screens. I've talked about the Tesla Model X that we're getting. 
we're November 1st. We're beyond Halloween and Thanksgiving doesn't exist anymore. So Google Tesla Model X Christmas display and watch the light show when the car play Christmas carols and dance. It's... Yeah, it's a car Easter egg. Yeah, it's they, they do all these fun things. So that's why te- I can't say Tesla is an, an appliance. It's kind of like the Samsung refrigerator. You can get it in silver, and then it's like that. And, you know, the, the Samsung one that you push the button, and the door becomes clear, and you can actually see if you have food in the refrigerator. I don't understand that. I can usually remember what's in the refrigerator. I, I usually just open the door when I need to know what's in there because I'm usually hungry and looking for something to eat. But but that's not but. that's not being green. You're wasting energy when you open oh. that door. See, this way I push that's a button and it energizes this clear panel. <laughs> so, oh, so it uses electricity to energize the panel instead of opening the door and turning the light on. So that's there you go. That that wow. Okay. And when yeah, that now, and when I that, want to jump in when that door breaks, you've got to repair. Well, that's true. And I want to jump in and just, you know, John, you mentioned Tesla is not an automobile company. They're having some startup production problems. You you touched on a lot of things. But obviously as the historian of the bunch here basically, I think we also have to point out the fact that yeah, you know, everybody is saying, "Oh, Tesla's bumping back production oh there's a loss to you know all the all the stuff that is being said if you look back through the history of the industrialized world this happens with every company that starts up something it the early auto industry hundreds of probably almost a thousand companies at least in this country had startup issues many of them never made it to production it is part of of creating new or improved technologies it's it is just part of business in this world in our economy in what what we do when we do something new or we're attempting something new sometimes there's issues sometimes there's failures and we got to step step back and improve some things and change some things to be able to bring out what is the next major step in technology. And, you know, I think we have to look at Tesla that way that, yeah, they're not an automobile company. They're a alternative power company or whatever you want to label them. But they're attempting something new, something, maybe not something new. I shouldn't say that. Electric car, as we all know, has been around. I mean, my ramblings on this show have been around since the late 1800s. But they're attempting to do something a little different in the modern day with an electric car. Make it more affordable. Make it all electric. Make it all these things that Elon Musk is attempting to do with the car. A lot like Henry Ford was trying to do with the automobile and the Model T. And we all, well, I know as a historian, I know Anthony knows the story. You know, John, you probably know the story. The Model T had issues. They had a number of issues with the first run of production. They got it out, but they had to essentially have one of the first recalls. It wasn't really a recall, but I think we touched on it in the TNA episode where they had some issues with the, the pedal and lever setup. The chassis on the first 2,000 or so, I think it was, uh, was too thin and was flexing and having issues. They had to reinforce it. 
so it, it it's just history repeating itself. I mean, even in the computer industry, we have had this, you know, the startup companies in, in Silicon Valley that did stuff for a little while and then fail, or they're trying to bring out a new technology and it has to be pushed back a little bit. It's just part of business. And that that's, that's a big part of this. I think we have to look at is this is just business as usual in some cases. Oh, Derek, I am so glad you, uh, you brought that up when I was, Hmm. How long ago has it been now? Right around the time I got my driver's license. 16, 17 years old, I believe it was. Do you guys remember Cannondale uh, mountain bikes? Aluminum oh, frame? yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you remember when they tried to start their motorsports division? I do not. They, they entered. So they wanted to have uh, mountain biking be their main thing, but they wanted to start a motorsports division. And this is when ATV racing was coming back from the consent decree that was signed. Uh, after the three-wheeler kind of debacle. And so they started uh, making dirt bikes first. So the mountain bikes, mountain bike folks could have motorcycles to ride that were the same brand and kind of styling with aluminum frame stuff. And they were exotic when they came out. And then they started in the ATV world. And the same thing that's happening in Tesla happened to them. They were overpriced um, in some people's eyes. Production kept being pushed back. The ones that came out had to be serviced by... um, uh, kits that would be shipped to the dealerships to be replaced like ball joints. And there was some cam cam bearing issues and the valve train. Um, but they were starting all of this in America with American workforce and technology. And it was really cool, uh, but it didn't work, unfortunately. And they had a lot of naysayers. And one of the neatest articles I read, I believe it was published in Dirt Wheel, said, you know, we all want American-made things. Why aren't we getting behind these companies and being more positive? So before we got too far away from that, I wanted to see what John thought about um, the naysayers trying to turn them around to be, you know, they can be bummed, but why don't we have a better outlook on these American uh, companies on American soil? Well, it's it's America. There There's two groups of people, and I fall into one of those groups. If I'm not complaining, I'm not happy. That's probably why I've had the, my little segment now. <laughs> I, I, I sure. This is but, why John started and that that just so our audience is clear. This is why John started the podcast with with Will and myself. Just you know, he wanted to complain every week about something. Like we, but say, I, yeah, but we say that's the the name of the the podcast. No driving gloves because we want to kind of get a little bit. I want to say rough and tumble and um, a little bit calloused on on some things. And I'm gonna try to wrap up this Tesla conversation so we can get into talking about antique stuff and uh, the collector car hobby. But Tesla announces a three-month delay in production, and I would not be surprised to see it extend to six months. And they get ridiculed, and they're wasting people's money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to touch on something. A couple of months ago... Uh, a famous American sports car announced, we're going to cease production. We're going to stop production. Kind of unannounced. Nobody saw it coming. So that we can retool the factory and improve quality, finish up the paint facility so we can paint carbon fiber better, etc. So the Corvette goes out of production for three or four months. Granted, there's not 400,000 orders for Corvettes, but there's still a thousand guys out there that have money down on a Corvette that have them ordered and would like to have a Corvette. No, the the discussion on a Corvette goes to 
oh, is the 2018 going to be the most collectible C7 Corvette because there's fewer of them made? Or are you going to want to have a early year delivery 2018 Corvette or 2000, whatever we're on, 2018 Corvette? Or are you going to want a late or a late delivery or is this 2000, 2017 Corvette? I'm sorry. Early delivery 2017 or late delivery, whatever year we're on. And yeah, you're, you're right, 2018. 2018. 2018. Do, you want it, do you want it before or after this three month? But nobody talked about, oh no, General Motors and the Corvettes going away. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors about the mid engine car and whatever happens with that, what happens to that. You can read the press and see your spy photos, but I believe the museum at one point in time had a mid engine Corvette on display. So it's not the first time this, <laughs> this ball's been tossed around. But, there have been many, many a concept mid-engine Corvettes over time. So it, just, it, just throwing that in there. Yeah, it's, it, it's something they've played around with since the late 60s, early 70s. So that may or may not happen. But the Corvette goes out of production for three months. And we talked about the, the collector car hobby gets into the discussion of, is it more collectible, etc. Tesla talks about a three-month production delay. We talk about the imminent demise of Tesla and Elon Musk and... You know, it's going down in flames like some of his rocket ships do. It now not to, not to drag this out any longer, John, because I know we want to move on to things. But part of that, I think, and I think you'll agree with me, is the fact that Corvette has been such a long run production run vehicle that nobody's worried about it not being produced again. Whereas the Tesla, you, this startup. Of the Tesla 3, it's the Model 3, right? That's in, yeah. The Model 3 is the one that's in, in, is in the one trouble, that's, but, you know, the Model trouble, S is still but in But it, it hasn't been produced before. Yeah. Right, but is it is it the fact that it is not a car that has a long history of production, whereas Corvette, being produced since 1953, you know, we've seen it in, in 1983 when they were attempting to bring the C4 out. They had to halt production because of issues. There weren't too many questions then about what was going on. They knew it was, was a move to improve the next generation Corvette. But again, it had already had a 30-year run behind it. Well, I'm not talking so, about the unknown. I'm talking about that the, 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 the both are affected by this three-month thing, and it's two, the same thing. Yes, you're right. There is a history there. It has General Motors backing, but Tesla gets ridiculed for taking government money. So so did General Motors. And actually, just about the same point in time, almost the same year, I think they both got their big checks from the government. So it, it's just one of those things. It's, you know, I'm, I'm using the Corvette analogy to say it's normal in the car world for this to happen in production delays. I mean, we can go in, the Vipers had it, Porsche does it to a extent, and it's almost a marketing thing with them. Ferrari, it happens with Ferrari, and I think it's more a marketing thing. But there's always delays, especially on this stuff that pushes, you know, pushes the envelope. You know, with, with that, 20-minute tirade over and discussing, and maybe we've helped, you know, explain to the listener that it's Tesla, and let's not worry about the company. I don't think, I don't think they're in trouble. 
I don't think they're going to be a car company that's going to last hundreds of years. I think, you know, Musk will get distracted and go on to something better and make some cool batteries and, you know, we'll buy our Tesla batteries with a little. That's where we're at in literally up to the minute type technology there. But I don't, I don't want to waste Anthony's time on the show while we have him tonight. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to be quiet for a change, probably in a lot of the second half of the show. We're almost going to have a two parter here in one show. I think we can go back and discuss a lot of this early technology that existed in the automobiles. I believe both of you have a, a, a solid knowledge. I mean, how often do we get to sit down and talk to two people that work behind the scenes at the Henry Ford? You know, it's a place that absolutely fascinates me uh, on my visits and seeing it. And, you know, of course, my privilege in life is I've seen a lot more of it than most people get to as general public. I've been in some of the back warehouses and that, and I believe both of you have probably seen and experienced a lot more than me. So why don't you roll with it and I'll interject when I can. Yeah, I I wanted to add too, um, I was in the Benson Ford archive. So I wasn't out in the village or in the museum or in some of the um, workshops that Derek worked in. I was in the archives and that is like a whole other facility in itself. And it's just really, really cool. Um, it is open to the public. It's free. Um, you park and you walk in and that's it. Uh, they used to have you sign in. I was just there recently and they didn't have any sign-ins. I don't know why they did away with that. But So I worked in the archives and got to see some really neat uh, original literature uh, and stuff like that. And my early car obsession is kind of steam-powered stuff. I'm into boiler tech and uh, got to see some neat steam stuff that's not that wasn't in the museum on the showroom floor but in the uh, back warehouses. And I think, think that stuff is out now. They launched a new exhibit. A few years ago, and yeah, that's my background with the Ford. Yeah, and I was going to, actually, I'm glad you jumped in with that, Anthony, because I was going to bring up the fact that you worked more in the, well, you worked in the Benson Ford Research Center, the the library and archives of Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village, or now known as the Henry Ford. And that is a cool place behind the scenes in, of course, what in the library terminology is closed stacks. In other words, it's not accessible to the general public. Uh, almost every museum that has library archives has this type of situation where they have the closed stacks. You can go in and request something out of there and they'll bring it out to the reading room for you. But you're not able to just walk in there freely and look around. That's reserved to certain staff members that have stacked privileges. In other words, we had keys that we could get into that, or we had our badges that would permit us into those closed areas. And it is one of the most fascinating storage areas, in my opinion, at Henry Ford Museum. I I was in the storage buildings for all of the artifacts, working in the conservation department. That was a routine for myself and, and the staff of the conservation department. But Occasionally, when we were working on an artifact, and I, I did it a number of times, working on some of the extremely rare early cars, uh, maybe even some of the concept cars, I would go over to the, the research center and pull some of the extremely rare archives 
out of the the stacks to do the research that needed to be done to get these cars or machines back into operable condition and that that is probably like i say one one of the reasons it's it's the coolest area there because off of a, a basic knowledge of machinery i could do a lot but to be able to go over to the library and archives and pull out an original document that told me exactly what to do to maintain it to run it the library and archives are are extremely important in any museum setting be it an art museum be it a, a history museum be it an automotive museum whatever we're talking about because that is the documentation end of things that is the owner's manuals the operational manuals the all of the stories that are are ancillary to the actual object itself and in unfortunately in the automotive museum world in the machinery world because the Benson Ford Research Center has uh, i mean just the, the the amount of archives they have is is mind blowing number 1 but they don't just focus on automobiles they they have everything related to the collections at the Henry Ford and so you can go in if you're restoring a antique car or an antique tractor or an antique hit and miss engine or anything that your work steam engines and you're likely to find the original manual for that car and it's it's that backup that you need to know how to do what needs to be done and so i think anthony had a really cool experience there and he helped me a couple times i know when i'd go over there looking for something he'd help me find it back in the stacks and just to be able to walk through there and pull something off the shelf and take a glance at it i mean they have parts drawings stored for the ford model t's the ford model a's and i think if i remember right anthony it's been a while since i've worked there i know it's been a while since you've worked there yeah. But I think some of the drawings even went back into pre-Model T. I think they had some of the NRS parts drawings. Yeah, uh, that, that's correct. Right. So, I believe and that's correct. And those, it's just, just real amazing. quick, those were hugely, hugely popular. Uh, those original, um, original film pieces. They would be people every week coming, coming in and requesting those. It was just really kind of neat to see those being brought to life. And then when you give them to somebody and they, that was the thing like you're describing that they needed to see to finish a reproduction part. It was just really, really cool. I think, yeah. And then, Oh, go ahead, John. I was going to say, I think it was going to kind of summer summarize to put it in really, really simple terms. When we're watching Barrett Jackson and they talk about documentation and how documentation adds to the value of an automobile, that's exactly what Derek's talking about, that these archives do at every museum. We, we have one at the museum I'm at. You know, the AACA has a completely uh, separate building and library facility for the record keeping because the records themselves are almost more valuable in the cars or the, the artifacts in, in the museums. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had a few uh, people come in, and they had asked for, to me, it was some obscure Lincoln knowledge. It was like a dealership um, display, or excuse me, a dealership uh, booklet like a salesman would use. They had paint swatches or fabric swatches and paint chips to pick out your Lincoln. And he asked me, he goes, what do you think that's worth? And I said, I have no idea. And he told me a very large number. And I said, there's no way. He goes, oh, yeah, this Lincoln book, this OEM Lincoln book is just, they're so rare. 
and I, you know, just, you can appreciate other people's knowledge with things you're not sure about. And it was really, really neat. Yeah. And that's, that's the cool thing is uh, there's a lot of times the documents that go with these artifacts, again, automobiles, machine, anything, they're often obviously not as many of those produced owner's manuals. Yes. There's as many produced as there are cars, oftentimes more, but, service manuals, things like the paint chips and fabric swatches that go to dealerships. Number one, there's fewer of those made. And number two, those are the throwaway items. The car is not necessarily the throwaway item. It's the paper documents that go with it that often are just thrown away because, well, this is, you know, the model three models ago and we don't need it taking up shelf space in the dealership anymore. In the trash it goes. So we've lost so many of those archives that it's where you find the rare documents that you need to be able to prove what you need to prove about the object that you are you own, you're working on, whatever it is you're doing. And I, I've had the good fortune working in the different museums I've worked in and also visiting the different museums and, and archives I've visited to see some mind-blowing archives. I previously, to working at the National Corvette Museum, I, I worked at a museum in Cleveland, Ohio called the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum, part of the Western Reserve Historical Society. And now the Cleveland History Center is what they call their main campus. In the archives there is one of the original patent documents for essentially the first self-propelled vehicle in the United States. It was never built, but that document is, is there. It was saved by Frederick Crawford, the man who put together the Crawford Auto Aviation as a museum, originally as part of Thompson Products. And he was able to save that, found it at an auction somewhere, and was able to get his hands on it. And there's only two copies, the one that exists at the patent office and this one, which we believe was probably issued to Mr. Staples, who filed the patent. And it's signed by George Washington. Where do you find <laughs> objects like that? You know, I mean, it's, it is mind-blowing what you find in archives, and I think... In Anthony's case, having the background that he had growing up with, you know, playing with machines and uh, RC cars and motorcycles and ATVs and everything he did, and then winding up in a technology program at Eastern Michigan University, uh, working at the Benson Ford Research Center, getting to meet the people that worked in places like the Roundhouse in the village those of us that worked on the machines and the automobiles and conservation, he became friends with a lot of us. We got the good fortune to become friends with him because Anthony's a great guy. He got to get involved in playing with even older stuff than I think he was ever even interested in maybe as a kid. You know, he started playing with steam equipment, hit and miss engines. Yeah. Yeah. I Model say that T's, too. Model A's, you know, and you started having a passion for the earlier stuff too, which is really cool. And I mean, we both, we have a mutual friend and you know, we'll just call him Goody because that's his nickname. And, uh, <laughs> but we, we used to go over to his house and play around with his steam engines. And 
on 4th of July and just goof off. He had some hit and miss engines laying around. We'd get those out, fire them up. And, and that was a good time, you know, and, and it's those connections that we talk about a lot on this show, the connections you make within the field and, and within this uh, hobby and, and business that leads you to do some really cool stuff. And I think that's kind of where, where Anthony has wound up in life is, is the opportunities he's seen through some of this, although he's in a very modern field of work with technology, dealing with cutting edge technology, he got yeah. the chance to become interested in the early stuff too. And I, I think that's really cool, Anthony. I think it's, it's awesome that you experience both ends of it the way you do. Yeah. It's kind of a weird mix. So earlier, you know, I said I was in the computer forensics field, and that's actually what I studied in college. And I did forensics for about three years in Michigan. And then um, forensics is one of those fields you're either it's built you're built for it or you're not. And I just found out, you know, really wasn't my thing. And in college, I had um, yeah, like, like I mentioned, I mentioned the core classes earlier, and. I wanted to make the connection between kind of how I digital forensics in my high tech job now and then working and knowing the knowing Derek. So the core classes had us do a um, history of technology and we could pick any topic as long as it was um, an old technology. So we're in a high technology field of study, but the assignment was to pick something old. And I was like, oh, I this will be easy. I had a passion for steam engines for growing up, going to tractor shows and whatnot. And um, so this project required us to write a pretty lengthy paper. And I'm kind of a research hound anyways. And the process involved using primary and secondary resources. And I've heard Derek talk about those on the show. And I got really into writing this paper. And one of the places we could use and were encouraged to use was the Benson Ford Research Center and Archives. Benson Ford Archives. And I actually got a job there while right at the end of writing the paper. I really enjoyed the process, and I liked meeting the people like Derek and uh, Goody out in the roundhouse. And that's how I actually got the job in a, in a really bizarre way. I had asked if they were needing any part-time um, help. And they said, actually, we are. And I had done such a good job writing and researching this paper, my instructor had no problem giving me a recommendation. And that's – I wanted to make that connection for everybody, um, even though I'm in the security world cybersecurity computer world i still have this other toe in the my passion which was really the early history research and museum stuff and actually derek i don't know if you saw i got married but i got married to a girl i met at the research center while i was working there so <laughs> that's pretty fun yeah and uh i was gonna say tell erica i said hi <laughs> i will i will she'll be listening when uh when this gets put out so Oh, fantastic. And then I'll just say hi to Erica by myself. Hey, Erica. There, there we go. There we go. So, you know, Anthony, you talk a little bit about that. And obviously, I at least right now, from still being a friend of yours, chatting periodically, we don't get to talk, I think, as much anymore as we used to and probably would like to. Hopefully, this podcast and reconnecting like this will kind of help us get back in touch with each other more often. Yeah, yeah. But I know we're friends on Facebook, obviously, and I know I watch your posts. Now, I know you don't have anything right now, at least that I know of. You don't have any old old machinery, old engines, anything like that. That's correct, yep. But I know you're striving 
to get something. And as far as I know, it's still a Model T. Yeah, yeah, Model it is. Uh, yeah, so, you're correct. It's a TT so truck. What, yeah, so why the interest in the TT truck? Tell us a little bit about you know, why you're so interested in the early, especially something like the TT. Man, that is an excellent question. It's something I've I've been thinking a lot about, and um, I go to more tractor shows, or used to, than I than I went to car shows. And steam traction engines is what they're officially called, or steam tractors. They are obviously very large, and they're very heavy, and they're very expensive to move, to purchase, and to maintain. Um, not saying I couldn't do that, but it's you know, just starting a family, it's not in the cards right now. So I wanted a TT truck because like, it's a good mixture of something that would fit in at a tractor show and something that would fit in at a car show. And I love going to old car festival um, at the village. And I love going to the big steam shows, uh, lower Michigan, upper Ohio. So that's why I focus in on the TT. I don't think I want to tour right away. So speed's not a concern. And for anybody that doesn't know about TT's, they have a worm drive rear end, and they topped out about 20 miles an hour or less stock from the factory. So that's where my interest is in the TT truck, is um, a good combination of driving along the fields while steam engines are plowing or just parking at a car show and talking to uh, everybody. And the good thing about TT trucks is, as I've brought up on the show, especially with antique car interests, the cool thing about Model Ts, be it a, a regular Model T or a TT truck, the heavier-duty version of the Model T, they're really still usable as daily vehicles. Now, a TT you'd be using as just a truck, a heavy heavy hauler. You wouldn't want to drive it back and forth to work unless you lived a block away from work and it'd take you 20 minutes to get there. But... <laughs> right, right. If it, if it, If I took mine... If I had a TT now and I took it to work, it would probably take me two hours, two hours-ish. <laughs> and it takes me not that long now. <laughs> back, when so I lived right, in yeah. D- say back when I lived in D.C., the traffic would move at less than 20 miles an hour, so it would still take me two hours to get to work, but I'd do it in a TT truck. Okay, so any of, our, any of our listeners from D.C. just pick up a TT truck and you'll be fine. I mean, you'll just creep over. Yeah, they're geared. So if you wanted to get out and walk next to it to get some exercise, you can do that too. (laughs) Well, instead of reading a book as you're going through traffic, I mean, it it would be a kind of a play. We'll go back to Tesla because we always rotate back. Instead of using uh, the the self-driving mode to let it drive and stop you, (laughs) you get out and do your exercises and your yoga. Yeah, and actually on a TT truck with a flatbed, you could just hop back there, have your yoga mat out, um, get your exercise, <laughs> maybe a treadmill back there. Uh, man, we could we could really we could set up the mobile TT gym. Yeah, that, that's your that there, Anthony. You get a TT truck, set up the mobile TT gym. Let me try DC TT GYM. There we go. Is that our coach? Wow. For, is that our first coach built project for the Derek Will and? Uh... John, that, that could be that could be the first. Anthony could be our first customer. We could coach build this thing. Um, unfortunately, Anthony, I can tell you already, there's going to be a six month bump in production. Uh, we ran into a few <laughs> problems. So I don't know why this thought just entered my head, but I was thinking about this. Uh, we're talking about 
the TT. I started thinking about Henry Ford for some reason. And an article that came out when, when the hurricanes were hitting the uh, coast. Do you guys remember the Tesla article or the article about Tesla that said Tesla extended the range on their uh, people in those areas? Do you remember those art- that article? Oh, yeah. I think we talked about that uh, a little bit about, what, three episodes, John? Yeah, that, ago? that's another one of those things. Tesla does. We at least brought it up. Tesla does yeah, something I'm, nice okay. and the, the world crashes down. He yells at him. But can you imagine Henry Ford having those metrics? Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to consider what he might do with those? That's a good question. Something to ponder. Yeah. I'm pondering. Yeah. But of course, I guess what the question would be in what era with with Henry? Yeah, not towards the end because things kind of got kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. It was a thought I had really early on in the show about the uh, the metrics and that. So we can we can move on. Just wanted to toss it out there though. Maybe maybe the listeners might come up with something neat or funny. Kind of yeah, and they can always they can always send us their their comments. Well, what, what, um, say while we're talking metrics and such, it, it gets me thinking, and I'll interrupt. And why do does the United States use SAE instead of metric? Is that what you're? Oh, not that kind of metrics. Well, oh, that's a whole other show. <laughs> well, a, a, according to the mechanic I used to work with years ago at White Post, we we use SAE because there's only 16 wrenches in every inch where Metric provides us, you know, 23 or 24 wrenches in every inch. So, <laughs> yeah, do you believe that? So we don't like to count high, is that? I guess we're simple people. We're not affluent like the Germans. We don't need that level of precision. Well, what I was trying to say before we were just got into the discussion about SAE and metric what about possibly, like I said, we were talking metrics, and for some reason that gets me thinking in a data analytics and just beyond that with, is there anything on the, the cybersecurity of vehicles we can broach and all of a sudden take this back from research and talking TT trucks and things to all of a sudden back to brand new F-150s and having strangers start them for me. With my background in, in history, I and like we've talked about, you know, Anthony and I took different routes in our college education, and I studied more really all the history of technology, whereas Anthony has gone into some more of the modern technology and, and cutting edge technologies. You know, Anthony, it would be interesting, I think, to hear some of your thoughts. And, you know, I don't think you necessarily deal with the computer security in in automobiles, but maybe in the field you're in, you have some insights or some thoughts on how our modern automobile computers and Bluetooth systems could possibly be hacked and, and what maybe should be done or could be done to make it a little safer. I don't know. What what do you well, what do you want to add? I mean, what are your thoughts? What do you see? I, I want to say well, that, wanna... that, that's not where I was kind of going with my question. I guess I should have went a little bit more. Is that we have this that, like Derek just alluded to, hacking the Bluetooth systems. 
and change, you know, changing parameters and cars driving themselves. I alluded to possibly an accident yesterday that was possibly caused by a computer. But is this really a new concern or is it current technology? And we've actually had these problems for years. I mean, we can talk unintended acceleration and with fuel injection, but didn't we have that before with linkages breaking or jamming? Didn't we have, you know, braking system failures prior to ABS and electronic braking? Didn't we have stuff like that before? Are these just new iterations of the same old problem and we're blaming different things? I mean, have have these problems existed forever? I mean, it used to be, you know, somebody can break into my car now by stealing the code over the air as I'm locking or unlocking the doors or such. 20 years ago, I could have used a Slim Jim to unlock the doors of somebody else's car or, you know, there's only so many keys, etc. Are these new? I mean, that's, I guess that's where more of my question's going on that cybersecurity to... Sure. No, that's a, that's a good segue. Uh, I actually was talking about this at work and we were applying it towards something a little bit differently, but it absolutely can be thought about with cars. So you mentioned linkages failing and breaking into a car using um, RFID tracking versus your Slim Jim. So what, when we think about car hacking and you mentioned like the same old problems, is it the same old problem or is it a new problem? First of all, I just want to say it scares me. I understand this technology, but I'm still scared by it. So let's put that out there. This It's the same problems, but on a much bigger scale. So when you think about the let's take our houses for example so our front doors might be locked right now and someone could come up with a bump key or a lock picking kit and try to break into the house they could fail go away someone else could come but if we have like a digital lock or think of the car if we have a digital lock on our car the whole entire world potentially has access to that lock to try to pick it electronically so when we talk about hacking cars we've always been able to hack cars it was just mechanical at first now it's becoming more electronic, and now it's connected to a network, which makes basically it opens up to the whole entire world. And I'm not, I want, also want to point out we're not just talking about people sitting at keyboards trying to break into cars, like we've read those articles online about. It could potentially be sent out to robots to try to hack your car. So one person could control, uh, it's a term called a botnet. So they control the network of bots and they can direct their actions and computing power to one resource to try to harm it, open it, uh, break into it. And so, John, you're absolutely right. I think it's the same problem, but just on a global scale now. Does that send uh, shivers up everyone's back right now? I was going to say, you've probably just scared half of our listeners. And <laughs> now they're and, but let's, let, let's calm them a little bit. When you say bots, you're actually talking about piles of code in a machine, you're not talking that a Cylon warrior is coming over or Twiggy from Buck Rogers is coming over and trying to break into your car because somebody right, said... Right, right. No, he's referring, he's referring to the Daleks. It's it's the Daleks that are trying Daleks. to... <laughs> right. No, it's... um. You're right. It's not, it's not a bot in the... I want to call it the old sci-fi sense, but Maybe it's not old, but it's just a network of computers that you've um, been able to control. And so it amplifies your computing power. And that's what you really need 
to do some of these hacks is you need to run iterations of an attack to see which, basically, which key is going to work. I think it, it's interesting, and I I appreciate the way you put that in the sense that it's it's a good explanation with the fact that mechanically it was always it took one person at a time and you know as john said these these are the same old problems just in a new light but as you say on that global scale you know if there were 20 people standing around someone's car in the 1960s you weren't going to bust out your you know, side cuts and slide under the car and cut somebody's brake hose because a whole bunch of people were going to see you, and yep. you wanted to be able do it alone and not be you know seen. But now we have that security of being not having to be next to the car, like you say, it can be accessed globally through the computer system. I, I it was I think to me I hadn't thought about it that way, and when you said that, it it kind of clicked to me that was a really interesting way of putting it. And I just, I, I kind of appreciate that. And I, I hope our listeners do too, that explanation. Cause it, it really resonated with me when you find, when you said that. Great. Great. Yeah. That's it's yeah. You're welcome. I live in this pretty state called denial. So I'm, I totally ignored everything you said. De- I thought that was, De- a, I thought that was, a, I thought that was a river in Egypt. No, that, that's the Nile. I just live in Dina. Oh, Ah, okay. Well, I would have one question for Anthony, and you, and you don't have to go really in depth with it or anything. But my curiosity, and I, I think most of our listeners know, if technology isn't at least probably seventy-five years old, I, I don't understand it. That's why the podcast is screwed up sometimes, usually because of me. But, but. For me and my interest in, in some of my, you know, it, it's kind of like when electricity was introduced. People thought it was magic. For me, the idea of Bluetooth and and the wireless connection of my phone to my car. Does that open up more security risk with something like a Bluetooth system? Because, I mean, can can people hack in and, I mean, anybody get access to through that whole sync technology, that Bluetooth technology, is that is that another area of concern, or is it all the same? I mean, what you're talking to somebody that doesn't understand modern technology very well. No, no, that's a good question. And you know, I run into people who I would say do understand technology maybe a little better than you, Derek, but they don't quite have the grasp on it. So these questions are being asked by everybody in all walks of life. Uh, what what I would say to that. Is I wouldn't I wouldn't fear Bluetooth or any one protocol specifically. So Bluetooth is just a protocol of a wireless a wireless set of protocols, and Bluetooth can transfer um, audio and files. So yeah, you do have to worry about that. But we have to zoom out just a little bit and not focus on one protocol. It's all the protocols combined they have to worry about. It's all the same concern in the end with the the computer technology and the wireless that we're moving towards with our cars. It's yeah. not one specific technology like Bluetooth or Sync or anything like that. Correct. It's not. Yeah. It, from what I've what I've seen and read and you know I've experienced and seen uh, demonstrated at these hacking conventions that I've been to is it's it's the whole entire attack surface that gets 
consideration. What are the holes in each attack surface? And it combines itself into being able to control your car. No, interesting. Yeah. And, and for, you know, I, I learned an interesting tidbit of information within the last maybe two weeks. Uh, and that is uh, where the name Bluetooth came from. Do you guys know where the name Bluetooth actually came from? I, I've read about it, but I can't articulate it right this second. But I'd love to hear a reminder. There was, it, it is actually named after, if I remember it correctly, it was a Viking king that was known in the, the Viking world in, in history as being the great uniter of the Vikings. And his name was Bluetooth. His, that was his name. <laughs> and so when they came out with the technology, they wanted to, you know, bring people together. So they named it after this Viking king. As that cool, is uh, fitting. I was going to say, as cool as Vikings are, that's kind of a letdown story when it comes to the technology. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it just means that eventually the Bluetooth system is going to uh, become self-aware. Uh, and basically start plundering all society and all civilian uh um civilized culture i don't think there's a way to unplug from the the system anymore um we live in this world and the phones are reporting the cars want to report the mo- money and i think i said it in one of these episodes recently, it's always follow the money. The money's in data acquisition anymore. So the, yeah, I was just going to say that. I was just going to say that the the car the cars are going to do it because the manufacturers are going to use that data to figure out how their cars are being driven to protect themselves. They're going to figure out how how they can use that data to further development. I mean, as far as you know, is they can have seatbelt sensors in every seat, so they know how often the third row seats used in a Trailblazer compared to a Tahoe to compared to a Suburban, and they can. Well, that is absolutely happening. You know, oh, they, yeah. They, they they can use this data, and it it's all follow the money. There's nothing you can do about it. Um, I had a friend of um, a couple of years ago. He has since passed very big into automotive ECUs and had his own dyno and, you know, very, very wealthy. He never took his cars into the dealer for any sort of service, but his buddy did. And his buddy thought that the performance of the car changed. So he went ahead and dynoed his car and then took it into the dealership. And after it came back from a standard service, dynoed again, and he had lost horsepower and torque. And the same thing happened a year or two later with the CTSV. Once it went in for this initial service, he, he'd get one of the first 500 of whatever usually delivered. And his theory was certain manufacturers will make certain cars with certain ECUs so that the press has an ability to get these cars and get these wonderful performance numbers. But they don't know what cars are actually going to end up in the journalist's hands. So... The car, the initial cars are all sold with this high performance tune, but the moment you bring them in for your first three thousand mile oil change, or he believed they remapped your ECU when you did it, so they got the great numbers in the press, but then they were able to protect their warranty on the flip side. So the manufacturers are doing it; it's happening. We're little people in this big cog of life, and. I think we just have to live with it. You know, that that is stuff that was told to me. I don't necessarily 
endorse it, believe it. You know, I want to kind of disqualify myself from it. But, you know, it, it's been told to me there's some semblance of the truth. I kind of like conspiracies and things like that. But it's, again, it's the world we live in and it's follow the money and why the manufacturers might not be selling your data if they can save themselves 10,000 engine replacements a year, you know, there's half a million dollars or something. And it goes back to what somebody once told me about building a 318 engine, and some little keeper in that motor that you think is non or inconsequential that only costs three hundredths of a cent or something. When you multiply that out over a million motors, it becomes substantial money. It's economies of scale. I think what I've learned from this episode, from this discussion, is I'm going to drive my 1961 Ford Falcon way more often, and I'm going to hurry up getting my 17 Overland done and just alternate between those two so nobody knows what I'm doing in my car. Well, you'll be safe from the electromagnetic discharge devices from the police cars and when we have a nuclear war. That too, because when I'm running from the police in a high-speed pursuit in a 1917 Overland that goes 40 mile an hour, I'm going to be worried about the uh, the electromagnetic pulse gun they have to shut the car off. <laughs> well, we want to thank Anthony for joining us this evening and providing some different points of view than we normally would, I think, encounter. We had a you know, almost three separate episodes happened this evening, all in one episode, quick pace, a uh, little bit more political than we normally want to be, me a little bit more preachy than I want to be, but I hope we explained some things to the listener, and hopefully you learned well in this episode. We do, again, thank Anthony for joining us tonight, filling in for Will. Yeah, we might grab a bonus episode or two with Will if he get get can, if he can find some time to call in from SEMA. But for uh, Anthony, Derek, and me, like I say, check out our Patreon, check out our uh, Amazon affiliate links, things like that. Um, obviously, this is a special bonus thing. Next time we need a guest host, we might go go to the uh, Patreon and see who we got out there that we want to invite on the show and let them impart some of their knowledge and actually have a say. Like I say, we created the podcast so that we had a voice. This is a way to get your voice. So from us three, no driving gloves. Thank you. Have a good evening, day, morning, whenever you're listening to this.